Friends, this morning we're going to come really close to the conclusion of the series that we're doing called Simply Christian. I want to remind you that what I'm teaching during these weeks is not specifically Presbyterian theology, but the very basic fundamentals of what it means to be a follower of Christ. Today, in fact, we're going to be talking about Jesus Christ and who he is in relation to the kingdom of God. So if you would go ahead and turn in your pew Bibles, we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 4, and we're going to start on verse 42. Let me pray for us, and we will study the word together. Gracious God, we thank you for this good opportunity. Help us do something good with it. In your name we pray. Amen. This is Luke 4. At daybreak he departed and he went into, the desert, into a deserted place. And the crowds were looking for him, and when they reached him, they wanted to prevent him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to other cities also, for I was sent for this purpose. So he continued proclaiming the message in the synagogues of Judea. Do you, do you ever wonder about your purpose in life, not your vocation, not your career, not whether you should get married or have kids or not get married, not have kids, but do you ever wonder why you're here? What are you supposed to be doing? I think that if we're going to follow Jesus, and I think that's why people show up at church because they want to know about this Jesus and and if he's worth following, I think if we're going to follow him, we need to figure out what his purpose is and, and what he was supposed to be doing when he came here to earth. That way we have a clearer idea of who it is that we're going to follow and exactly what we're going to do when we follow him. Jesus, when he came, he broke into the ancient world in a time where there had been 400 years of what many would call a, a quietness of God. It wasn't that God wasn't there. It wasn't that God was necessarily absent. But it's just that coming off of the Old Testament, where God's showing up, he's, he's raining down fire on Sodom and Gomorrah, and he's flooding the, the earth with Noah, and then he's out there in the cloud and the burning bush, and God's all over the place. We have this 400-year period where, where it seems as though God's activity might not have been as great as what people were used to. And towards the end of that time period there was this very heavy, heavy blanket of oppression that was over the Jewish people. They can't seem to overcome it. Generation upon generation has given up hope. And and they've basically resolved themselves that this is all there's going to be to this menial life, and death seems like the only answer. So out of that context, Jesus appears on the scene, and he changes the whole story around. Have you ever met somebody... Who, who they just cannot stop themselves from interjecting into your conversation. You're, you're telling a story, right? Sonia knows. Um, you're, you're telling a story, right? And, and they think they know what the outcome is. So they begin to tell the story. And they're telling it themselves. And by the time they get to the end of the story, you realize they're nowhere near the way that that, that story was supposed to go. Little kids love to do this with their younger siblings. You know, they know the story, they know how it goes, so they just take it out of the little one's hand and they just tell the story themselves. Well, when Jesus arrives, he was not the story that many of the Jews were prepared to tell. 
He was not what they were expecting. He was supposed to be this royal king who exuded power and influence and and would come in and strike fear into the heart of his oppressors. And then he shows up as a baby in an animal stall. And to people who are telling their story of the way they want it to be, this idea of a savior must have seemed like a joke. And it really wasn't funny when that same king of the Jews comes riding into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey. For those who had their own idea of how this story was supposed to go, they gave up on Jesus as the Messiah, the way. And they instead relegated him to a great moral teacher. Have you ever heard that said about Jesus? Oh, Jesus was a good guy. He was a good moral teacher. Do you, you think that's why Jesus came? Because he came because the world was so devoid of moral teaching and, and needed what would become Christianity to step in and, and fill that gap? If the only reason for Jesus to come was to be a great moral teacher, then there's really nothing new under the sun. Because Jesus came to earth, and morality was already up and running. Don't forget that Jesus was not the first person to suggest that killing your neighbor is not a good idea. Jesus didn't come up with that. Now, it doesn't mean that we didn't ignore it left and right, but it also doesn't mean that Jesus is the originator of morality. Christianity isn't about offering Jesus as a wonderful moral example, as though that's our principal need, that that we need to see what a life of utter love and devotion to God and to other people would look like so that we could try to copy it. If that was Jesus' purpose, we could say, okay, yeah, and some people that's had some good effect. They've met Jesus, and as a result, they've made better moral decisions. But there are other lives that have become greatly depressed over this. When they try to see Jesus as this great moral teacher, and they come to realize that they can never, no matter how hard they work, become Jesus. But moral teaching is not Jesus' main agenda. Jesus himself said in Luke 4.43, I must... I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to other cities also, for I was sent for this purpose. Jesus said it. That's his purpose. Jesus' purpose is to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. Why? Because that's what the world desperately needs. That's what they needed back then, and that's what we need right now. We need a faith that proclaims that this is not the end of the story. That the pain that we endure, the hurt that we cause, the wars that we start, the lives that we live, this is not the end. This is not the period on the torturous sentence of life. Moral teaching is everywhere. Gandhi taught morality. Martin Luther King Jr. taught morality. Even the humanist who writes the column for the local paper teaches morality. Jesus came to change the whole story in a way that no moral teacher ever could or ever will. In Luke 19.10, Jesus highlights that difference once again when he says, the Son of Man came to seek out and save the lost. Morality doesn't save people. Jesus saves people. So his purpose, which he declares as an imperative, when he says he must do this, He must do it, is to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is God's people in God's place under God's rule. And in the Old Testament, we understood that to be 
the tabernacle, the place where God's space and our space intersect and interlock, is no longer the temple in Jerusalem. It is now in Jesus himself. Well, this would have been received as a shocking departure from the way that things had been going for the Jews at the time. Because at the time, you have Caesar. Caesar's made it pretty clear that the Roman Empire was in charge and that Caesar is the ruler. That wasn't going exceptionally well for the Jews. And then, depending on who you ask, having Vladimir Putin or Kim Jong-un or Barack Obama or Rick Scott in charge of the world isn't going so hot for any of us as well. See, it's not about political party. The point is that the kingdom of God isn't going to be headed up by politicians. God's not running for office here. He's already assumed the throne. This is already his kingdom. And things are going to be widely different than whatever it is that we've got going on in the here and now. The last shall be first. The wounded shall be healed. The blind shall see. The brokenhearted will be made whole. Morality, for all the good that is in it, cannot ultimately do any of these things to totality. So Jesus has to be more than a good moral teacher. If we're going to follow Jesus, we're following him in the way of the kingdom of God. The need which the Christian faith answers is not so much that we're ignorant and we needed better information, but that we are lost and we need someone to come find us, stuck in the quicksand, waiting to be rescued, dying, and in need of new life. Because let's be honest, friends, when we try to do it ourselves, we just can't. So with Jesus, our whole focus gets to shift. We don't have to worry about saving ourselves. God's already taken care of that in Christ. And so now, instead, we're offered freedom. We get this freedom to experience God's rescue for ourselves, to go through an open door and explore the new world to which we now have access. And in particular, we're all invited, we're actually summoned, we're called into it to discover through following Jesus that the world is a place of justice and spirituality and relationship and beauty. And that we're not only to enjoy it as such, but that we get the chance to work to bring it to birth on earth as it is in heaven. We get to live differently because we know that our future is confidently held in the hands of the Savior of the world. Think about that. Think about that. And you, if you know Jesus Christ, if you are confident in him, then you already know what's ahead of you. And that changes the way that you get to live today. Jesus proclaimed his purpose in Luke. Go, proclaim, seek, save. That's what, that was his purpose. No matter what anyone else wants to say about what his purpose was and what he was supposed to be doing here, Jesus was clear. Go, proclaim, seek, save. Is it any wonder then that in the Gospel of Matthew, when Jesus gets his last shot to talk to us and say, okay, now, here's what you're going to do, he says, go, proclaim, baptize, obey. They're so close to each other because that's what following Jesus is. We say we want to follow Jesus, then we have to align our purpose with Jesus' purpose. The kingdom of God blew up like a volcano when Jesus broke forth on earth. And that means that the kingdom, friends, is right under our noses because you can't put a volcano back together. Have you ever tried? Have you ever tried getting all the pieces of a volcano back in there? You can't do it. So the kingdom of God is right under our noses. 
How then do we align ourselves with Jesus' purpose? In this passage, Luke shows us. Remember how the passage starts? At daybreak, he departed. And he went to the deserted place, and the crowds were looking for him. And when they reached him, they wanted to prevent him from leaving them. Prior to all of this, prior to this little, this little piece of scripture, Jesus is healing the violently sick, and he's pulling out demons from plagued people. And he was in the throes of the busyness of ministry, which, let's be honest, is where the church spends an exorbitant amount of time. But along comes this moment when Jesus steps out of all the activity and he goes away by himself, which is hard to do. Because if you see in the scripture, the minute that the man tried to step away, everyone followed him. They wanted to drag him right back out into all of that. And out of that place of solitude and time with God, which we understand to be prayer, Jesus realigns himself once again with his main mission, his main purpose, which is to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. For that reason, we as individuals and, and collectively as the church, we got to have a gut check every now and then about what we're doing and why it is that we're doing it. It's really, really easy for the church to get swept up in social and political and cultural issues of the day. That's super easy. It's also extremely easy for the church to just be busy, right? To just, just throw stuff all over the calendar, make sure, that, make sure that we got something going on 24 hours a day. About a year ago, our doorbell at home rang, and, and I met a very, very nice couple who were intent on inviting Sung and I to their church. And since Sung and I do not hang a banner over our door that says, we're pastors, we're good, this happens to us. <clears throat> this happens to us more often than you might think. And, and this, couple, this couple hands me a flyer. Let me tell you what they wanted me to know about their church. I've got to take a breath to do this. <clears throat> Ready? We are a... Bible-preaching, devil-stomping, soul-winning, believer-empowering, unconditional-loving, disciple-making, faith-accepting, diligently-seeking, effectively-praying, spirit-and-truth-worshipping, scripture-reading, child-training, jail-visiting, naked-clothing, hungry-feeding, needy-supplying, world-traveling, pastor-equipping, orphan-housing, widow-supporting, illumination-teaching, kingdom-working, word-obeying, rapture-believing, crown-receiving, on-fire, radical-zealous, pleasing to God, end-time church. And I thought... <laughs> you know, you're all so excited your pastor can read. Um, but, I, but I heard that, and I thought, that's exhausting. How, how does one even get that onto a sign? And then a couple weeks ago, I'm reading one of the beach newspapers, and a church out there, so, so pleased to announce that they're the first gay church on Anna Maria Island. And I'm sure that at some point back in the day, Somewhere out there in the world was a church that took pride in being the first church to be served by a female pastor or by an African-American or whatever special identifying quantity made them just a little bit different than everybody else. This is nothing new. Jesus was met with all kinds of people who had very clear expectations for what his ministry and his mission was supposed to be all about. And Jesus through prayer and intentional connection to the Father, returns to the heart of his purpose when he says, here's what I must do. I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom 
of God to the other cities also, for I was sent for this purpose. That's it. That is the heart of the mission of Jesus Christ. And all of the rest of it, whatever label you want to stick on a church or a ministry or whatever idea you have of what the church is supposed to be doing or what Jesus is supposed to be doing, all of it comes back to living out that proclamation. Because if you just go out there and you feed the hungry and you clothe the naked without proclaiming the good news, without telling them that this is not how it's going to be forever, you've done something decent and good and moral, but you've missed the mission. And you've forgotten that the purpose that we have is to proclaim the good news of the coming of the kingdom of God. When all is said and done, Jesus came because God promised his followers that he would not leave them. He would not forsake them, and if they would follow him, he would deliver them to a place where sin has no say, where grace and mercy run down like streams in the desert, where hope is eternal and lives are made forever whole. In Jesus, that was made possible. And that's the good news. Above all else, that's the good news that the world is dying to hear. Our purpose in life, our whole mission, is really to do what Jesus did and proclaim the good news that the kingdom of God is at hand. That's it. Amen.